for me, it was the right fit you know, against the New York Giants. Like, this is this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. Man, I'm so blessed. It's crazy. I've been manifesting New York. I kind of had a feeling it was going to be New York, but now that we're here, man, God is good. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by NorthJersey.com and the USA Today Network. I'm your host, Art Stapleton, and we have completed the NFL Draft 2023 edition, the second for Joe Shane as general manager of the Giants, Brian Dable as head coach, and the report cards are in. And Joe Shane has to be pretty proud with what he's been able to accomplish. Hang that up right there on the fridge at 1925 Giants Drive because the Giants received rave reviews for what they were able to do, turning 10 picks at the start into seven prospects, all of which you can see a fit into this roster, onto this team but especially what they were able to do the first three rounds, bringing in a cornerback, a center, and a wide receiver, and heading into that draft, all three, those would be considered the top three needs. So on today's show, we're going to do a little draft recap. The picks are in. The picks will be in the building starting on Thursday as rookie minicamp gets going. They'll come in for physicals, sign their contracts, and then on Friday, they start with meetings in the morning. They'll be on the field with Brian Dable and his coaching staff, and then we'll get the chance to interview the rookies and those participating in the minicamp Friday and Saturday uh, of this week. So things are picking up in the off-season program, and now the rookies will join Phase 2 of the Giants' off-season program, which is starting next week. Obviously, there's still a focus on Saquon Barkley and Dexter Lawrence and their absences. What we were able to find out over the weekend in speaking with Joe Shane, and I've talked to others behind the scenes, neither player is expected to be in attendance as this remains voluntary. Saquon remains a an unsigned player. He has yet to sign the franchise tag. But what Joe Shane did tell us on Saturday was that he planned on reconvening with both Saquon's representatives and Dexter Lawrence's representatives Dexter seems to be a lot closer to a contract extension, which will be a lucrative one. I would guess four years near $25 million annual average salary. I would think that is probably where it lands. Probably four years somewhere in the 90s. I don't think they'll go up to 100, but hey, you never know. And the guaranteed money will be high. It's what Dexter's market dictates. It's also where he is. Uh, Dexter Lawrence and Quinn and Williams of the Jets are the next two up. So you'll see where that flows in uh, on the market 
with guys who have already gotten their deal. Deron Payne from Washington, Jeffrey Simmons from Tennessee. Uh, those will fall right around. Those were 23, 23 and change. So you'll see the next one that comes off the board probably be closer to 24, and then it'll go on down the line. So it's one of those things where you don't necessarily want to go first, but you don't want to let it drag out too long. You want to get that contract extension while it's here. As far as Saquon goes, I'm not sure how much movement they'll do. Uh, what Joe Shane did say was that he had spoken to Saquon's representatives and they had agreed that they would get back together after the draft and see if there was an avenue to get a long-term extension done. We don't know if they bring back the offer from the end of the regular season, which was close to $13 million a year, annual average. Uh, will Shane use the 10.1 as a starting point? My guess is... The Giants want Saquon on this roster. They want him to be here long-term, uh, but they want to do it on their price, and they will try to use the franchise tag as the hammer. I think Saquon will try to trade Saquon's people anyway, will try to do whatever they can to up that number and to get him a contract that he feels uh, is worthy of what he brings to the table, both as a player, off the field for the Giants. Uh, and that's... I'm not sure how you find a common ground with that because that's always a difficult situation. You have a player who is essentially the face of the franchise who plays a position that is not valued on the market in this league financially the way others are. Giants just picked up the fifth-year option for Andrew Thomas, an outstanding left tackle. Obviously, uh, I think by the time he signs his extension, He'll likely be the highest paid left tackle in football. Uh, and we all know how relative that is because that's a fluid situation. Then the next guy becomes the highest and the next guy and the next guy. But if you look at Andrew Thomas, Andrew Thomas's fifth-year option was $14.1 million. Saquon has a franchise tag that's worth $10.1 million. So is Andrew Thomas that much more important, a $4 million difference between the two players and what they've meant to this franchise, you can make the argument that it's not, but on the field, what Andrew Thomas has been able to do, you can't take away from him. You know, you don't want to look at another guy's paycheck, so to speak. So when you're Saquon, you're tough in a, in a tough situation because you know your value to this organization. This organization knows your value. But the market is what the market is. And smart teams let the market dictate where they're at. And I've made this comment before. One of the most valuable players on this team is Graham Gano. The Giants gave Graham Gano a very good contract extension when he came here, previous administration. They're not going to all of a sudden reset the kicker market with Graham Gano. You look down in Baltimore, they're not going to reset the, the kicker market and compare him to a quarterback salary or a wide receiver's salary and give Justin Tucker that kind of deal. So that's the line we walk here when it's Saquon and the Giants. It's not about what he's not worth. We know what he's worth on the field. We know this Giants team is not as good right now as constituted without Saquon Barkley. I think the Giants know that. Saquon Barkley knows that. We'll see if they can get to a point where they can get a number 
and and feel comfortable on both sides that it's enough to put the name on the contract and get it done. I'm not sure if it happens immediately. I think it may have to go closer to the July 17th deadline uh, for Saquon to sign the franchise tag and for franchise tag players to agree to contract extensions. As far as Dexter Lawrence, one interesting point, I thought uh, his representatives and Joe Shane agreed that with the draft, they had a lot of clients that were being represented in the draft. So they felt it was in the best interest to wait and then resume talks this week. And obviously Shane said the same thing as far as uh, the Giants and their interests in the draft for themselves. So they waited to re-engage this week to talk. I think that negotiation is a lot closer uh, to getting done. Um, it helps to have a baseline of, like I said, those guys, Payne and Simmons. Payne is also represented by the same firm and agency as Dexter Lawrence's. So uh, Joel Siegel negotiated Payne's contract. So you know that's the baseline. And that's where Dexter Lawrence starts. And then you could get into the debate over whether De you know, Dexter Lawrence deserves a better contract than Deron Payne. What you're paying for, you're paying for one year last year of how good Dexter Lawrence was versus where he will be this year and then moving forward. I don't think there's much of an argument. Uh, I just think it's a matter of working out and negotiating a contract. So that's where those two things stand. Let's talk rookies now. Uh, and I think to talk the rookies, it's important to talk. I told you this on Friday's episode going into day two. And I really think when you look at this draft, what Joe Shane did in days one and two showed kind of that new way of Giants business. And that's the way he handles things. And in round one, there's a lot of speculation. People wanted to know why Joe Shane traded up from 25 to 24 and gave away two assets, a fifth round pick and a seventh round pick. Why did he do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because sitting at 20, the Giants had their top wide receivers on the board. I believe Zay Flowers was at the top. It was Jordan Addison. And where uh, Quinton Johnson fell, I'm not sure. But they also had Deontay Banks. And word around the league was that Deontay Banks was going to go in the late teens, early 20s. The Giants knew that that run from 20 to 21 with the Chargers, 22 with the Ravens, 23 with the Vikings, that it was very possible that they would lose three or four of their top guys on their board. And as it turned out, as Joe Shane said, their board started getting depleted. Why? Because they knew that that's the cluster of players that was going to fall in front of them. I was told that there were teams behind the Giants that were looking to trade up for Deontay Banks. We've since learned Peter King wrote his column. He was embedded in Vegas with the Raiders. And several sections of his column talked about the Raiders' love for Deontay Banks and how they were trying to trade up. So that's number one. 
Number two, there was a feeling that Kansas City was looking to maybe move up into that low 20s, ahead of the Giants and maybe even ahead of the Vikings uh, or where we thought people would fall for one of the players would be Deontay Banks. So Shane looked at it and said, you know what? We had this deal talked about earlier in the day. They had talk- He had talked to Trent Baalke with Jacksonville. What would it take to move one spot up? Because Jacksonville was talking trade. Joe Shane knew that Trent Baalke wanted to deal that pick. So it was obvious that if the Giants didn't make a deal with Jacksonville, someone else was going to make a deal with Jacksonville. So that's why Shane decided to make that move. Now, we've also learned since then that the Buffalo Bills, which we know Brandon Bean and Joe Shane are very close. Bean is Shane's mentor or one of them. That the Bills and the Giants had a deal for the Giants to go back to the Bills pick, which at the time I believe was 28. And Brandon Bean wanted to jump up because he wanted Kincaid, Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah. And the feeling was they needed to get ahead of the Cowboys. So where else would Brandon Bean want to go? Go to Joe Shane and work out a deal. And they had the parameters of a deal in place. If Joe Shane's entire board was wiped off uh, for that cluster of picks, he would have traded back to Brandon Bean. And at that situation, I'm not sure who they take. Uh, I don't know if they take John Michael Schmitz in that spot. Uh, I'm not really sure what Joe Shane would do. Uh, But when Shane realized that he needed to move up for a player that was a first-round grade for him and Deontay Banks, and he couldn't get any higher than Jacksonville. Now, the Giants were trying to get into that mix to try to jump ahead of the Vikings because there was a feeling that the Vikings might take Deontay Banks. The Chargers... Would they trade back? Where would they go? What did the Ravens want to do? Maybe the Ravens would take a corner like Banks. Banks fits that system. And ultimately the way it played out is that the Giants got the guy that one of the guys that they wanted. Yes, Zay Flowers was another player that they were coveting. Uh, from what I understand, it was about Deontay Banks. It was not about Zay Flowers. And ultimately the Giants got Deontay Banks. Now, if there was another wrinkle in that cluster and some of those players pushed back and if Flowers and Banks were on the board, I think maybe the Giants do what they did last year when Evan Neal and Ike Iquanu were on the board at seven and they decided they were not going to move up to six to get one. That were two similarly graded guys and maybe they take the guy who's there, whether it was Banks or Flowers. As it turned out, they get Banks. Now, that turns into the second round to speak a little bit more about Joe Shane. John Michael Schmitz was one of the guys that they wanted. Jalen Hyatt was another guy that they wanted in the second round. They're sitting at 57 because they made the trade in the first round and because they wanted to have that ammunition in the third round because moving from 89 into the 70s would have cost them. They did not want to use an asset at 57 to move up. So they waited. And it was funny listening to Shane talking about how his patience was really tested. He didn't want to dip into next year's draft and send an asset there. So he waited. And in this situation, he read the board, read the board well, uh, 
especially when Joe Tippin went off the board to the Jets at 43. He kind of felt there, okay, we knew the Jets were hot on a center. We knew it would be either Tipman or, or John Michael Schmitz. Where do we stack there? And they waited. And they got they got lucky. They got rewarded for their patience because they were able to get John Michael Schmitz, uh, the center that they coveted, at 57. Also, they were able to keep their fourth-round pick and wait and see what happened. And then in the third round, when Jalen Hyatt was there, the Giants tossed around some ideas. Joe Shane, which I thought was interesting, talked in his room, got a couple of the scouts, likely Dennis Hickey. Brian Dable was one of them. I'm sure Tim McDonald reached out. Brandon Brandon Brown making calls. Let's make calls to see what deals we can get to go from 89 to the 70s, to the early 70s. They ended up getting that deal. It was Dable's text to Sean McVay with the Rams. The Rams said they were willing to deal. The Giants worked out the deal. They came up and got Jalen Hyatt. And what's interesting about the three guys that the Giants drafted is that they were all mocked to the Giants in the first round at some point, league-wide. I gave them all A's. All three players got A grades for me. And I thought the reasons behind it and the fits and the talent and the fact that they did not panic like some suggested in day one and they got the players that fit their system. You saw how excited Wink Martindale was when Deontay Banks was the pick. The hugging of Joe Shane. This was a masterclass in GMing. Now, the further you move along and you look at the Giants draft and the way things played out, I think they did a great job as far as figuring out what players kind of fit, what players do fit, and what's important as far as what they needed to do for this draft. And, you know, let's go to round five. They get Eric Gray running back from Oklahoma. Now, he's been talked about as one of those sleepers. Uh, We'll see where he fits. He'll have an opportunity to come in here and challenge for a rotational role at running back. I gave him a B plus. I think he's got change of pace potential. Uh, Comparisons from Miles Sanders, NFL.com, to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because Gray is 5'9", 207, so a little bit more shorter and stockier. Mike Kafka, the OC, certainly knows why the Chiefs loved Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So that's somebody to look at. Round six, they went Trey Hawkins, the third DB from Old Dominion. He's a small school prospect that the Giants were on from jump. There were a lot of connections to what they had. You know, Hawkins is that height, weight, and speed. He ran a 4.39. Uh, I think he's looking for traits in that situation. And uh, that's where Hawkins fits. So it'll be interesting to see if he can become at six foot one, one ninety. Can he move into that cornerback mix later in in the season? You know, down the line. And then Jordan Riley from Oregon, round seven, just a massive human. And I think at that point 
the Giants knew that they wouldn't have an opportunity to really compete with that guy when it came to undrafted free agents. So you're looking for traits. That's what teams will do when they look for undrafted free agents. Where do they fit? There are not many guys that are six foot five, 338 pounds like Riley who don't get drafted earlier. So if you're going to look to take a chance on a guy like that, you're better off drafting him in the seventh round rather than waiting as an undrafted free agent and then having to give him money uh, to compete with others on the market. And then to round out the, the draft, G.O., Javarius Owens, safety from Houston. Great connection here. Thomas McGahey, special teams coordinator. His son Trent is a tight end at Houston, so he's a teammate of Owens. Uh, T-Mac saw a lot of Owens on campus when they went to to see him work out for Pro Day. Uh, he performed well at the East Rush Shrine game. So he's a tall, long athlete, probably more of a special teams guy to start out, and then maybe he works into the safety rotation at some point in his career. Uh, so again, another traits guy in that situation. Now, the thing I like about Shane and what he did in the draft is he didn't chase traits early on. He chased traits when you're supposed to chase traits, which is in the sixth and seventh rounds. You're not taking a guy based on potential in the third. You need that guy to be a player. You want him to have production. You want him to be a good productive player before you just all of a sudden assume his traits are going to carry him into another level. And they didn't do that. So I thought that was a very good thing to do. Um, so we'll be interested to see rookie minicamp this week, see how things shake out. Um, a couple names I'll give you as far as the undrafted free agent frenzy that took place. Uh, a local guy, a guy I'd, I've known from Don Bosco, went to Syracuse, then landed in Illinois. Tommy DeVito from Cedar Grove. He's a quarterback. There are no quarterbacks on the roster behind Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor. So DeVito has a good opportunity here, uh, especially in the offseason, to see if he can pick up the system pretty quickly and see if he can be a guy that the Giants will carry through to training camp uh, and have... Uh, have him have an opportunity to push for a spot maybe on the practice squad. Um, but that's where DeVito is standing. Uh, Haba Baldonado, outside linebacker from Pitt, the only edge guy that they're bringing in, and he sure has some some talent. He had nine sacks two years ago. Uh, he's born in Rome, Italy, not New York. So he's a guy I know the Giants are excited about having been brought in as an undrafted guy. And this is a name that you're going to hear a lot of, Bryce Ford Wheaton, wide receiver from West Virginia. Uh, he's one of those guys that it's a little bit of a surprise he didn't get drafted. He's six foot four, 220, and he ran a 4.38. That's intrigue. That's a guy who you want to look at further and hope that uh, he could find a place in your rotation. So he's a guy that I think a lot of people are going to be writing on. And then the last one would be Deontay Johnson, inside linebacker from Toledo. He had 109 total tackles last season. 
Giants are looking at that inside linebacker spot to see which combination works best. Obviously, you have Bobby Okereke, Jared Davis, Darian Beaver is a promising rookie last year before he tore his ACL. Uh, He actually tweeted in response to a tweet of mine that he's healthy, he's never felt better, and he's raring to go. So Beavers' project uh, progress will be something to watch uh, as we move forward here in the offseason. And uh, that's where we go. Another intriguing invite, and I'll end with this. Hazik Daniels, New Jersey native, quarterback at Air Force, Reportedly, he's coming to try out at a running back spot. And whenever you see something like that, it's always, it's always you know, your antenna goes up because you want to see a guy. They're always searching for guys to fit. And in this offense, you want versatile guys who can bounce around and be playmakers with the ball in their hands. Uh, 31 career games at Air Force. He had 17 touchdowns. He rushed for 1,700 yards, 22 touchdowns. Uh, Like I said, he's from Franklin. He played at St. John Vianney in high school, uh, and he's coming in to see what he can do at running back. Would not surprise me if he performs well that the Giants end up giving him a contract uh, this weekend uh, because, you know, it's just an interesting story, especially coming from the Air Force. uh, And, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I believe that he had applied for a transfer to play another year of college football and he was denied. Uh, And I'm going to dig into his story more, but I think it's just an interesting situation to come in and, uh, and wrap that. So uh, again, hope you uh, hope you enjoyed all of our coverage of the draft. We had a great time at MetLife stadium for our draft party show. Uh, A lot of great response. So really appreciate it. Like I said, hopefully we can do something Later on this summer, hopefully at Giants training camp, if not off-site during training camp, to do another fan show. Uh, and and then all of our coverage on NorthJersey.com, your response has been great. Uh, the numbers have been through the roof, so I thank you, thank you, thank you for being all in for our show and my coverage. And we'll stay all in. Until next week, keep enjoying veering towards the season this is one of those things where you enjoy the time off and you enjoy the time away from football but the closer you get to the the season you start getting antsy i'm hoping for some family time between now and training camp because when you look at the way the off-season schedule is there is no off-season so we're all in thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time